Today I'm going to take you on a, a little bit of a strange journey. So it, it's going to look as if it's very disjointed or not quite uh, making sense. But it does make sense to me in my mind. Um, so probably to help you with that, I'm talking about the love of money and the love of God. I'm going to change the word the love of money. I don't normally do translations, but I'm going to translate it to the love of the dominant culture. So the love of what is happening around our world. And then that might make a little bit more sense of my message for you today. So who loves mathematics? Anyone? Hands up? Yep. It's great, isn't it? So today I thought I'd going to talk about the world. So we're going to have the, oh, they, they don't exist. Um, are the slides there? Yep, ah, oh, cool. We're going to talk about world population. So I was Googling it last yesterday, and apparently there is almost 7.8 billion people in the world according to the way that they calculate it. Okay? Out of that, according to the great wisdom of Google, is that there is approximately 2,208 billionaires in the world. That makes what that says, 0.000003% of the population are billionaires. Millionaires. There's about 46 million uh, millionaires in the world, worldwide. And this is based on, say, the US dollars. And that's based on assets and interest. So if you have a house that's worth a million dollars, you would be a millionaire. Assuming that you own it outright. If you've got you know, a million dollar house but you only own 100,000 and you have a $900,000 mortgage, then you're not a millionaire, you're just a, a between 10,000 and 1 million type person. So out of that, there's 2.7 billion people, which is about 35% of the population. According again to Google, people who have less than $10,000 is about 4.9 billion people. So 65% of the, of the world population has a low amount of money. Those that are millionaires, and particularly if you look at the prices of houses across Australia, would be in that 0.6%. There's quite a lot of people. So just want to give that as a bit of a snapshot. We're going to show a video. I'm not sure if I've shown this video song before. I think I may have here at um, Brooklyn Park. I have shown it other places. Just for your reflection, it's done by Ralph McTell. So, yeah. Um, that always brings back a lot of memories for me, that song. Uh, I come from Melbourne, for those that don't know that, but most of you will know that. Uh, and in Melbourne, as a 16-year-old, I did a social work placement as my work experience for school and I did it in a place called St Mark's Fitzroy, an Anglican church that had a welfare centre with it. And every day for that week that I was there, you'll have these old guys sitting in the community hall just playing cards. And their fingers were all yellow stained of the nicotine stain and they'd have their rollies and their cigarettes. And they lived there and that was their community. They weren't rich, they were poor, they were, um, don't know if they were on the age pension or disability pension or any of that, because it says, if they don't believe 
in life, they're not going to believe if someone comes back from the dead to tell them. He also goes on and says that um, Lazarus, the, the beggar, could not cross over and even cool his tongue and that. So, my question for you, how do we see the good life? Do we see it in the terms of the rich man focused on this life? Or do we see it in the perspective of Jesus and the eternal consequences of our actions? Jesus has also said that the first will be last and the last will be first. These are words that I don't feel comfortable with because I am in that bracket of reasonable wealth compared to the rest of the world. So I am in the first world, as they often describe the Western culture. And will I be last? And what does that look like? I'm going to take you now on a journey of what are the, um, a bit of the history of the Christian church from basically from the time of Jesus through to about 350 AD. And, and this is where I'm talking about the difference between dominant culture and following Jesus. So, mathematics. Can anyone guess what the population of the Roman Empire would have been around the time of Jesus, about 30 AD? So, 10 million. Any hands up for 10 million people? 20 million. Well, we'll go for 20 million people. Probably less. That's a big area. It's the whole of Europe, or it's a big chunk of Europe and Middle East and some of uh, top of Egypt. How about 50 million? Anyone go for 50 million? Oh, yeah, a few hands there. What about 100 million? Will we go for 100 million? No. Well, 50 million is pretty close because it's actually 45 million people. And, according to Google again, there was about 1,400 cities flooding around. The Jewish population, the Jews were a small part of the Roman Empire at that particular time. Any guesses on how many people there might be in the Jewish population? Let's go for, we'll start at 500,000. Anyone go for 500,000? Anyone go for a million? Yep. Anyone go for 5 million? Occasionally? 10 million? Yep. It's actually estimated between 1 and 3 million people. So about 2% of the population were those that were considered Jewish or followed or converted to the Judaic religion. So on the day of Pentecost, when the church, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they started to preach, it is said in, in the book of Acts that 3,000 people joined the early church and they would have most likely come from the Jewish religion. So, so it's a very small amount of people considering the overall Roman Empire. Between 30 and 70 AD, many people came to know Jesus and changed their lives from the dominant culture to follow Jesus and it began to expand, okay? John, the, the gospel writer of John, it is believed that he was the last apostle alive 
and then he probably died in an old age and somewhere around about 100 AD, maybe 105 AD. So during that time, the gospel continues to grow and that there is a much larger population of the Christian population. I want to, on the screen in the next bit, is, is going to be a letter from Pliny the Younger. He was a Roman governor of Bithynia Pontus, in other words, modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to the emperor. So he's a secular person. He's a person that's under the Roman authority, writing to the emperor about what to do with these mob of Christians. And I, I love this letter, so I just want to read this out to you guys. I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted in their beliefs in Christianity, I ordered to be executed. For I had no doubt, whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness, inflexible obstinacy, surely deserve to be punished. Would you love that to be called of your Christian faith, that you are stubborn, inflexible, obstinate, and that you deserve to be punished because you serve Jesus? There were others who possessed the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. A Roman governor could not punish a Roman citizen. They had to go to Rome and the emperor deals with it. So Paul had to go to Rome and he was beheaded instead of crucified because he couldn't be crucified. That's against Roman culture to do that. For the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. So imagine over 70 years it's gone from this small group in Jerusalem to this large group of people throughout the Roman Empire. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but to the villages and farms. I love that. For the contagion of this superstition. So Christianity was expanding greatly and, as, and from the dominant culture or from the Roman Empire point of view, it was a superstition. A bit more how we treat witchcraft today. But it seems possible to check and cure it. It is certainly quite clear that the Roman temples, which have been almost deserted, have begun to be frequented and that the established religious rites long ne neglected are being resumed. So because of this persecution, they are now actually turning away from Christianity and going back to the previous religious way of living. What is fascinating about that is that Jesus made this big change in the Roman Empire. That people were actually impacting on the economy of the places because they're not buying sacrifices, they're not buying uh, idols, and they're changing the whole way in which they live. 
Ah, yeah, so non-neglected and resumed. That from everywhere, sacrifice animals are coming, for which up until now, few purchases could be found. Hence, it is easy to imagine what a multitude of people can be reformed if an opportunity for repentance is afforded. So the attack on Christianity was there, it was real, but people were choosing to follow Jesus and not follow the dominant culture. So, in around AD 300, so just as the time that Constantine is coming about, it is estimated that the Christianity had grown to about 10% of the population. Most of them would have been from the Greco-Roman world and less would have been from the Jewish background where it originally came from. And then by AD 350 AD, so this is after Constantine has said that uh, Christianity is a legal religion, it's no longer to be persecuted, the Christian population had grown to about 56% of the Roman Empire. And shortly after that, I've forgotten the name of the emperor, but the next emperor basically made it the state religion. So it became the religion of the Roman Empire. So, that's a, a, a whole group of people that are changing from the dominant culture coming into Christianity and putting Jesus as their master. So our Bible reading today, as you know, is no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or in my translation that I'm using at the moment is you cannot serve God and the dominant culture. You're going to have to choose between them. So if you have a look at our society in general, in general terms, our society has turned away from God and we are focused on money, success. I always love the NAB ad which says the most important person in the world is you. And that is what our society is about. It's about the individual making their own success uh, whether it's health, wealth or lifestyle. It is all about us and about what we can do. And God has gone second place. If we, if we look at statistics, the ABS statistics over the last 60 years, Christianity has gone from 80% of the population down to about 50% of the population. That's a given. The other thing that has happened is other religions have started to increase, and they're generally about the 6% marker uh, in today's time, but they would have been down to the 0.2 or 0.1% um, way back 50, 60 years ago. And then if you look at the uh, non-religious, so those that have chosen in the stats to not be religious, so that was would have gone from your 10, 15%, it's now up to 30% and it's on a scale that is going to continue to grow. So there is this separation of where our society is focused not on God, but is turning away from God. So how about us? Do we follow Jesus or do we follow society's way of doing things? Oh, look at that. I've jumped ahead of myself. <laughs> 
That is what I think that I'd like you to examine, that we really do have a choice. We can follow God, we can follow Jesus, or we can follow society. The dilemma is, I don't think we can follow both at the same time. I was looking for a picture on the internet and I never found it. I would have loved to have a picture of a slave that had one hand here, locked on that side, one hand here, having the two masters and the tussle of pulling. You know, this master wants more control, this master wants more control. Because that's pretty much what we're like, isn't it? So we're focused on following Jesus, but at times we are dragged back into uh, living in the way our society lives. So my prayer for us is that we will choose to follow Jesus, that we will seek his kingdom and that we will move away from the materialism, the individualism of this world and seek to be obedient. So between the years of AD 30 and AD 350, a whole group of people had changed the way they looked at the world and what was important and came to follow Jesus. And my prayer is the same is going to happen here in our day, here in Adelaide and here in Australia. But it's not easy. It's not easy to do and rely on Jesus for all of our needs. There is a lot of pressure on us to conform to this world and this world's standards. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can gather here. Thank you that we can learn a little bit more about you every day. I pray, Lord, that you will be our source of life, that you will be our motivation, that you will be the driving force that gets us to get out of bed and live life for today. That we will come and we will be able to share our faith, that we'll be able to connect to people and that they can see a difference in us, that they may also inquire about you, Lord. Be with each one of us and bless us as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.